Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and they can really help you out. You can visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll be visiting with our U.S. Congressman Byron Donalds. He'll be joining us, as well as Phil Kirpin, the President of American Commitment. And Dave Bigo, frequent guest on the show. He's the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. The story of the travails of dealing with union bosses over the course of two and a half years. It is February the 26th, and on this day in history, two national parks were established in the United States ten years apart. The Grand Canyon in 1919 and the Grand Tetons in 1929. Located in northwestern Arizona, the Grand Canyon is the product of millions of years of excavation by the mighty Colorado River. The chasm is exceptionally deep dropping more than a mile into the earth and is 15 miles across at its widest point. The canyon is the home of more than 1,500 plant species and 500 animal species, many of them endangered or unique to the area, and its steep, multicolored walls tell the story of 2 billion years of Earth's history. In 1540, members of the expedition sent by the Spanish explorer Coronado became the first Europeans to discover the canyon, though because of its remoteness and the area was not further explored until 300 years later, American geologist John Wesley Powell, who popularized the term Grand Canyon in the 1870s, became the first person to journey the length of the gorge in 1869 in just four, four rowboats. In January 1908, U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt designated more than 800,000 acres of the Grand Canyon a national monument. It was designated a national park under Woodrow Wilson. February the Twick, 26, 1919. Ten years later to the day, President Calvin Coolidge signed a law bill passed by both houses of the U.S. Congress establishing the Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming, home to some of the most stunning alpine scenery in the United States. The territory in and around Grand Teton National Park has a colorful human history. The first Anglo-American to see the saw-edged Teton peaks is believed to be John Colder. After traveling with Lewis and Clark to the Pacific, he left the expedition during its return trip down the Missouri in 1807 to join two fur trappers headed back into the wilderness. He spent the next three years wandering through the northern Rocky Mountains, eventually finding his way into the valley based on the Tetons, which would be later called Jackson Hole. you ever been there, it's been a fascinating place, and the Grand Tetons are just an astounding sight. Other adventures followed by in Coulter's footsteps, including the French-Canadian trappers who gave the mountain range the body name Grand Tetons, meaning big breasts in French. For decades, trappers, outlaws, traders, and Indians passed through the uh, Jackson Hole, but it was not until 1887 that settlers established the first permanent habitation. The high northern valley, with its short growing season, was ill-suited to farming, but pretty darn good for grazing cattle. Tourists started to come to Jackson Hole not long after the first ranch. Ranches, some of the ranches became kind of dude ranches for eastern tenderfoots. And finally, after more than a decade of political maneuver, Grand Teton National Park was created on February the 26th, 1929, as a concession to the ranchers and tourist operators. The park only encompassed the mountains and a narrow strip at their base. Jackson Hole itself was excluded from the park and designated merely a scenic preserve. Albright, though, had persuaded the wealthy John D. Rockefeller to begin buying up land at Jackson Hole for the possible future incorporation into the park. In 1949, Rockefeller donated his land holdings to Jackson Hole to the federal government and then incorporated them into the national park. Today, the Grand Teton National Park encompasses 309,000 acres. Working ranchers still uh, exit in Jackson Hole. I should say exist in Jackson Hole, but the local economy is increasingly dependent on services provided to tourists and wealthy landowners or vacation homes. 
both parks established on this day, uh, on February the 26th. Wednesday, uh, we'll start off with COVID. Uh, 59 COVID patients in Cuyahoga County on Wednesday and 42 on Thursday. Boy, the numbers are dropping, aren't they? The seven-day moving total was at 77. And these two days will bring that average down. As of approximately 2 p.m. on Thursday, there were 65 COVID-19 patients in Cuyahoga County Hospital. That number has dropped. Every con- just a month ago, it was up about 118 patients. So, in other words, we flattened the curve. No concern about health care, overwhelming the health care system here in Cuyahoga County. Uh, COVID numbers are looking better and better every day. Nevertheless, NIH, NIH, I should say, Director Dr. Francis Collins stated that even after people have been vaccinated, we don't know exactly whether it's still possible for the person to carry the virus. It might be, and until we have better data, then we masks are still important, he said, and, and that on masks, even if we're overdoing it, that's fine, better than run the risk of infecting more people, he said. See, this is the problem with uh, public health officials. I think the only focus is uh, their area of domain of concern, which is public health and, for example, the coronavirus, but it's not. You know, it's important to see people smile, their facial expressions, to have relationships again. So you you need to take a look at the trade-offs here. Thank goodness we have our governor, Governor Ron DeSantis. I'm going to continue. Collins went on to say it's entirely possible for people to be out there in public who are infected with the virus and don't know it, And the only way we're going to reach such individuals, and it might be any of us, from spreading this is if they're careful about wearing that mask. Now, my understanding is there's no actual proof, scientific proof, that masks actually work in the first place. I had one doctor that I trust tell me that he thinks that masks are kind of like building a chain-link fence in order to keep mosquitoes out. So, in other words, not much good, but they do provide some reassurance for those that are fear-ridden about the virus. By, uh, press, uh, Joe Biden held a press conference on Thursday celebrating the 50 millionth COVID vaccine shot in the United States. Of course, I, I would say that's primarily due to President Donald Trump. He held the event in D.C. and it was the broadcast on the White House YouTube page. Get this, only 669 people were watching. 669, that's all. And this guy got 81 million votes. How, what an inspiring figure, huh? Now, data out from a new survey on Wednesday from the polling from Echelon Insights illustrates that while Republicans remain more concerned about substantive policies, such as taxes and immigration, Democrats are fixated on overpowering their political opposition. And I think this you can see this as just as plain as can be. Out of the list of issues that Firm asked about only of uh, Republicans, which range from socialism to Christian discrimination, Republicans reported they are most concerned about illegal immigration, low support for law enforcement, and exorbitant taxes. 81% said they were extremely concerned about illegal immigration. 79% said the same for the lack of support for police, and 77% citing high taxes. Democrats, on the other hand, now get this, when given a list of issues ranging from capitalism to LGBT discrimination, reported they concerned, most concerned about the political opponents. 82% said they were extremely concerned about Donald Trump's supporters. 79% said that same for white nationalism and 77% for systemic racism. Can you believe that? Democrats' fixation on political opponents as the primary problem facing the nation ranked alongside white nationalism, offering a dark side into the divisions plaguing the country, wherein one political group has become convinced the other side is evil. Boy, the whole notion of the psychological concept of projection, I guess the uh, Democrats see the Republicans who are looking at issues as evil. Meanwhile, what's more evil than hate based on uh, this kind of bias? It's unbelievable. Aggressively progressive children who are bred on left-wing university campuses are now permeating the uh, leadership of the nation's ruling institutions in Hollywood, legacy media, and Silicon Valley have successfully infected the Democrat Party. And it's, of course, this exhaustive wokeism that kind of paints the whole picture. 
The narrative of broad right-wing extremism, however, has already begun to be weaponized to justify and accelerate an already coming widespread progressive purge to corporate and cultural spaces. Parler, of course, the free speech branded platform alternative to Twitter, was kicked off of Amazon's websites for allegedly hosting the same content presented on Twitter and Facebook. Apple and Google also banned Parler from their app stores. It's, it's pretty wild. Hopefully these people will come to their senses. In the meanwhile, we've got the Capitol enclosed with razor wire. The whole thing is just kind of absurd. And now they're passing laws like the Equity they actually passed it with the support of four, four Republicans, which uh, confuses the whole notion of uh, uh, sex. You want sexual orientation to be included. Of course, this is going to destroy women's sports. And we'll talk more about that later in the show. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also, by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date. By reading Life in Naples, visit lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, going to be visiting with uh, William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show, the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with our U.S. Congressman, Byron Donalds. Right now we have with us William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. Tell us about the Cato Institute. You bet. We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website. C-A-T-O.org. Terrific organization. So, William, we've got uh, now been kicking around this stimulus package, $1.9 trillion dollars. In the meantime, it looks like there's herd immunity setting in, and it makes me wonder if we even need this package at all. What are your thoughts? That's a very fair question. 
Um, the, the House today is expected to vote on the American Rescue Plan, which is the official title of the COVID stimulus. And as you mentioned, it's a it's $1.9 trillion bill. Um, and we discussed many of the problems with this stimulus. I mean, the first among them being that hundreds of billions of dollars of the prior stimulus hasn't gone out the door yet. Yep. Um, but more specific to this bill, it's supposedly a COVID stimulus, um, but it has uh, about $300 billion um, worth of spending that has nothing to do with COVID, and it has about $700 billion worth of spending that won't go out the door for for years, and, and indeed decades, you know, over the course of a decade. So wow. the bill, this American Rescue Plan, on its face, does, it isn't really about COVID to a large extent, and it doesn't really have anything to do with stimulus. I mean, it's not fast acting. Um, so, what is actually at play here? This is something we've noted a number of times before. Um, in the famous, uh, infamous words of Rahm Emanuel, um, who was chief of staff to Obama's White House in 2009. Never let a crisis go to waste. Yeah. That's what we're seeing here, which uh, you know, the, a bill that is on its face uh, contains a great deal of unnecessary or unrelated spending, um, but it, they're all progressive priorities. So we're seeing this sort of a, this use of the COVID pandemic as a means to an end, um, as a justification to pass this kind of grab bag of progressive uh, wish list, if you will. Yeah. Um, so, alas, would, that's the state. Yeah, it would, it would surprise me, too, if there was a, a big bailouts for uh, blue states that have not managed their economies well. And uh, I would guess there's a few hundred million dollar, uh, dollars involved in that process as well. One of the things I noticed is the parliamentarian of the, of the House said, you know what, we're not going to include this $15 an hour minimum wage in the bill. It doesn't satisfy the... the uh, the requirements for passing the bill without a 60% majority, I think that's pretty good news. <laughs> that's fantastic news. Um, I'll say this. It's, the parliamentarian made that call based upon our nuanced, arcane Senate rules. Um, and so, in essence, the minimum wage didn't have a sufficient enough effect upon the budget to warrant being part and parcel of this bill this, that, that, as we've spoken of before, goes through this budget reconciliation process. Um, but aside from sort of the legalese that goes into the parliamentarian's ruling, that $15 minimum wage is a textbook example of what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. um, it has nothing to do with COVID. And, and in fact, it has an anti-stimulus effect. I right. mean, it is, according to the CBO, would reduce uh, employment by 1.4 million individuals. So, you know, I think that in a nutshell goes a long way in explaining sort of a lot of the nonsense in this COVID stimulus, putative COVID stimulus. Absolutely. Well, we'll see how it turns out today. Hopefully, hopefully the bill won't pass. I mean, I think there's enough nonsense in it that maybe even uh, Democrats might come on the side of saying, you know what, maybe we don't need this. And again, I come back to the point, you know what, the, it looks like the problem's going away anyhow, just through herd immunity and vaccinations. Uh, maybe the economy will recover on its own without this kind of spending. So we will see. So uh, uh, several of Biden's nominees seem to be in trouble, including uh, his pick near a tendon, I, a tandem, I guess, for OMB. Any comments? It's a, this is a big deal. Um, and it's remarkable. So Biden, you know, in his uh, inauguration speech, made this plea for unity. Um, well, then he turned around and nominated Nareen Tandon, or Neera Tandon, I'm sorry, uh, formerly the head of the progressive think tank Center for American Progress mm. um, for to direct the Office of Management and Budget, uh, known as the OMB inside the Beltway. Uh, OMB is hugely important. Think of it as the brain of the administrative state. I mean, it effectively manages regulatory output by controlling agencies' money flows. Hmm. Um, so very important position. He nominates Tandon after this call for unity. Well, Tandon has years of, of social media posts denigrating sitting senators. And, and uh, you know, I guess uh, it should shock no one that they took umbrage. 
Hmm. And we've we've seen in the last week, it was actually led by a Democratic senator, uh, uh, Joe Manchin from West Virginia, who was the first to announce his opposition to Tandon based on her history of divisive social media use. Um, shortly thereafter, Susan, uh, Republican senator, uh, centrist Republican senators, Susan Collins and Mitt Romney, also announced they were going to oppose her. Um, and it appears at this point that, that her nomination is foundering. Mm-hmm. This would be unprecedented. That the a president's pick, that the OMB is within the office of the, the executive office of the presidency, which is to say, it is White House staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Senate has never bucked uh, a president's first choice for OMB before. Wow! Um, so it, I, I think it's it's unprecedented, and it's it's uh, it's an unforced error. I mean, why on earth would would President Biden call for unity? and then nominate for a crucial post, one that requires a lot of working with Congress, someone who has this very long history of personally insulting members of Congress. Yeah, I would suspect it has something to do with because Biden's not making those decisions, somebody else is, but we can only speculate on that. Before I let you go, I do want to get your comments. The, uh, the Supreme Court just passed on all the issues with regard to elections, unfortunately, in my view. But Judge Thomas uh, penned an interesting dissent regarding the Supreme Court's uh, uh, decisions about the laws. A- any thoughts about that? Well, indeed, Justice Thomas expressed um, skepticism, and he, you know, he pointed to facts um, regarding the propriety of mail-in voting. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, these are points that have been uh, expressed um, by many esteemed thinkers. But in essence, progressives jumped all over it. They implied that he was condoning what occurred on January 6th, and mm-hmm. that wasn't the case at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I think that um, it's a sad commentary upon, uh, you know, I guess contemporary politics. We say that all the time that uh, Supreme Court justice can't uh, raise a question. You know, there's a reason we, we didn't have mail-in balloting to the extent um, that we did until this most recent election. And, and indeed, the the cause for its use in this most recent election was the unprecedented pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think he was raising a bunch of fair questions um, uh, regarding, you know, that had nothing to do with January 6th, um, but nonetheless was tarred and feathered by progressives, uh, yeah. progressive media, um, you know, for... Uh, allegedly condoning what occurred. Yeah. So I, I don't think, you know, he, he was joined in, in by Gorsuch and Alito, I believe, yes. um, in in wanting to take this case on. And, and I think there's a, a it, it, it involves a complicated question, you know, in essence, is the Constitution violated when a state court overrides a state, uh, state legislature on election law? This is a problem that's going to be coming up again and again. Yeah. And I don't think we can point to the last election as being, um, it was, I'm not saying there was any fraud involved, but I am saying it was suboptimal. I mean, we have 74 million Americans who who questioned its validity. I'm not going into the reasons for that, but I am saying, um, you know, I don't think, uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with raising questions about how we conducted an election in unprecedented times and uh, uh, taking that question on so that these, these, these questions aren't, aren't, aren't outstanding, mm. that they don't uh, potentially cause problems in the future. So mm. I don't understand why everyone was jumping on Thomas, and I think it was unfair. I agree with that. William Yeatman, again, research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Cato.org is the website. Okay, coming up, we're going to be visiting with our U.S. congressman. That would be uh, Byron Donalds, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, providing policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Phil Kirpin. He is the president of American Commitment. Right now, we're waiting for Byron Donalds to join us. Byron is, uh, our, of course, our U.S. congressman. He's in an elevator right now, but uh, we should have him on the air in just a moment. I do want to talk to him about a number of things, including this Equality Act that passed on Thursday afternoon with impact on abortion, marriage, family, gender, sports, and more. It's just incredible to me that a law like this could pass in the House of Representatives. It was a 224 to 206 vote that the, past, uh, the House passed the Equality Act, and it amended the 1964 Civil Rights Act in order to prevent discrimination on the basis of sex, gender, uh, identity, sexual orientation. Three Republicans, I guess we could say they're not MAGA Republicans, but three Republicans actually voted, along with Democrats, in favor of the Equality Act. See if Byron's here. Byron, are you here? Hello, Byron. Byron's not here with us yet, so... The act would mandate that individuals uh, uh, cannot be denied access to the locker room of their choice. I'm not kidding. They really decided to vote on this. An individual shall not be denied access to a shared facility, including a restroom, a locker room, a dressing room. That's in accordance with the individual's gender identity, according to the bill's text. Democrats tried to pass the Equality Act in 2019, but it was killed by a Republican-controlled Senate. Hopefully... That could happen again. And again, three, three Republicans voted for this. Representative Fitzpatrick from Pennsylvania, uh, Representative Katko from New York, and Co Representative Reed from New York, three Republicans who voted to support uh, the bill. Byron, are you there? Byron is not with us yet either. So the legislation was now head to the Senate, where it will need 60 votes to avoid a filibuster. President Joe Biden promised to pass the Equality Act during his first 100 days of office in 2020 when he was still the Democratic nominee. He also said he would like to make sure that LGBTQ equality is a focus of the United States diplomacy before he was elected. That's pretty amazing stuff, isn't it? I think the, the other kind of interesting thing that's happened... Uh, Byron, are, are you there? Hello, Byron. 
Bob, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Bob? It's so good to hear your voice. So thank you so much for taking time to visit with us. Of course. How was the, I'm assuming back surgery went successfully? Oh, Byron, thanks for asking. It went great. I feel so fortunate that all my appendages work. I was in under anesthesia for five and a half hours, but it all worked out just great. So, Byron, so much going on now in the House of Representatives in Congress. I just want to ask an open question to get your initial thoughts of what's going on. Well, today we're actually voting on budget reconciliation. Well, I guess it's the same tonight. It's going to be a long day up here on Capitol Hill. Uh, you know, just to be straight with you, Bob, this, this bill is pretty much a disaster. Um, but, you know, this is what happens after elections. You know, the, Nancy Pelosi has the votes to pass this thing, and um, it, it's going to pass tonight. I think one of the good pieces of news uh, for everybody listening is that the $15 federal minimum wage is out of the bill. Right. That came out of the bill last night. So it's like, you know, a silver lining because that really had nothing to do with uh, COVID uh, relief or pandemic response. You know, I think that's something where if they want to pass that, they should do it uh, as a standalone bill because the implications are so are so disastrous for the country. The American people should have an opportunity to really examine that policy on its own merits. Um, and the members of Congress should sit there and debate the members of that policy, um, no matter how you feel. But that being said, the rest of this bill is just a grab bag of money yeah. um, that's frankly not needed. There's still a trillion dollars in unspent stimulus dollars from last year. Um, there are a few things in this bill that I think are good, like extending to the PPP program is a good idea. Uh, trying to help people who lost their job because of COVID-19 is a good idea. But when you're building bridges uh, from Buffalo to Canada, when you're building underground railroads in Silicon Valley, these are things that are in this bill, and it's a tragedy that that the Democrats are using uh, the pandemic as an excuse, frankly, to pass their wish list of ideas that they can never pass in normal or in regular sessions. So let me come back to the point that you made. I, I, it would be my hope on the face of all of this that there'd actually be a few Democrats would say, hey, this is actually foolishness. There's I'm sorry, no, Bob, you broke up. I, I missed what you said. No, I, I just, it, it makes me wonder if there aren't a few Democrats that at least would say this is somewhat, this is foolishness, but I think I heard you say that uh, Nancy Pelosi actually has the votes to pass this in the House. Well, th there are Democrats who believe that. The problem is, is that when they're in their re-election fights in 2022, they'll get no help from Nancy Pelosi. I mean, one of the things that people have to understand is that the DCCC pumps millions of dollars into these into these battleground uh, districts like millions of dollars mm -hmm. they dump they dump millions of dollars in uh the 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 house majority uh, fund that they have pumps millions of dollars in these members can't raise that kind of money on their own and so the way nancy pelosi keeps them in line is by pumping millions of dollars into their races to get them reelected. it's really that simple like wow. that's really what happens up here so, and so these members know that they can't trade they can't uh, walk too far away from Pelosi, or they're not going to get help in their re-elections. So, in other words, when no doubt, uh, whatever the agenda might be, because she's got that strength and that uh, that power, she'll be, probably be able to pass anything that Joe Biden sends her way. By Byron, we may have lost Byron. It wouldn't surprise me. He's on right now is making critical critical arguments about these policies and just how bad they are. Number one how they only service or serve a segment of the population, number two. And it really, you know, you know, putting a lot of the focus and onus on battleground Democrats and, and Democrats like Joe Manchin uh, to actually somewhat be the voice of reason in this sort of thing. Because, you know, this this bill is just, it, frankly, Bob, it's just not needed. Mm -hmm. You know, we probably could do a $600 billion bill and have the same effect on COVID-19 that we have spending $2 trillion. Yep. No, no question about it. Uh, do you have hope in the Senate that that uh, these bills will not make it through? I'm sorry, Bob, you're breaking up. What uh, did you say? I, I'm uh, well. I'm thinking also about the Equality Act that passed yesterday. But is there a chance that the, that the Senate's going to not pass these and they won't make it through? Yeah, I don't think the Equality Act is not going to pass in the Senate. I don't think that that's going to get that's going to get through. Uh, simply put, the Equality Act is really the inequality act. It actually puts women behind the eight ball. Right. All of the talk that the feminist uh, movement did in America, the women's suffrage movement did in America, um, the fact that, yes, you know, people should have the ability to just 
to earn their living and, and do their things in harmony and peace, the Equality Act undoes a lot of those protections. Furthermore, you know, if you're a young girl in America, you actually get have less protections, not more, after this bill is if it's signed into law. I don't think it passes the Senate. Uh, it's one of those measures where, um, you know, we opposed it very strongly. But the reality is, is that I don't think the Senate's going to pass it. And I hope that stays true. Yeah, well, again, Byron Donalds, our U.S. Congressman. Byron, I just genuinely appreciate you taking time to come on the show with us. Any comments or thoughts for our, our listeners and your con- uh, con- constituents before I let you go? Well, I'm actually, uh, tomorrow morning, I'm heading down to CPAC. Uh, I'm going to be speaking there. Fabulous. It's going to be a uh, really good time. And, you know, I really just want everybody back home to... So just stay vigilant, stay focused on what's happening up here on Capitol Hill. Um, you know, it's just there's frankly just a lot of bad policy moving through the House right now in particular. Um, but, you know, we're going to continue to fight hard and, and just stand for common sense policies and, and, and smart and smart budgets. I mean, that's really where we're standing on right now. Trying to bring some sanity to Washington, D.C. Well, we're just so grateful that you're there, Byron. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. All right, Bob. Take care of that back, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks so much, Byron. What a good man. I'm so grateful that he's in Washington, D.C., representing us. He's articulate. He's smart. He's got a spine and a backbone, and he'll stand up for what's right. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Phil Kirp, and he's the president of America Commitment. We're going to do that more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Phil Kirpin. He is the president of American Commitment. Phil, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, great to be with you. Thank you, Phil. Tell us about American Commitment. We are a national free market advocacy group. We work uh, really on all of the uh, fiscal, economic, and regulatory issues. And what we try to do, it's a little bit different from some of the other groups, is we don't do original research. We try to focus on uh, the fights that are on the margin in Washington that could go either way with a little bit more citizen involvement and engagement and get people uh, the facts and the information on uh, what's happening so that we can maybe tip some of these fights in a more free market direction. And uh, the everything's on the website, AmericanCommitment.org. 
AmericanCommitment.org is the website. So, Phil, you wrote a piece about COVID and the illusion of control, really quite fitting for the, for the times. Maybe you could tell us about it. Well, I think the real story uh, of the past year is that uh, nearly all of our political leaders and public health officials uh, want to believe that you can stop a highly infectious respiratory virus uh, essentially by decree, by government order, by lockdowns and shutdowns and school closures and, uh, and, and so forth. And uh, they cling to this belief, uh, despite the fact that all of the evidence suggests otherwise, and that none of these measures seem to really have much of an effect, and uh, it sort of has been a true pandemic uh, in the sense of pan meaning everywhere, that uh, kind of everywhere gets their turn, you know, basically no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the places that thought they were so brilliant early were really just sort of uh, had been lucky to that point and hadn't had their turn yet. And I think the fact that California has now passed Florida on pretty much every COVID metric, uh, despite, you know, 10 months of continuous lockdown, pretty much says that all of the measures that we were told are so effective do essentially nothing. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it was, we're so fortunate here in Florida that uh, our governor has basically said, you know what, we're going to allow our citizens to make good decisions on their own behalf and for their neighbors. I'm sure they'll make good decisions, so we're just not going to have lockdowns here in Florida. The interesting thing is that here in Collier County, 80% of the kids uh, in the public schools are actually going to brick-and-mortar schools in Collier County, but that's not the case across the country, is it? Uh, No, we've got wide variation. Um, in terms of the availability of schooling, uh, we've got two regions in particular where schools are mostly closed still, even now, on the West Coast and right here in the D.C. area. Wow. Uh, and really the best predictor of school uh, closures, like the best predictor of all of the other uh, measures of lockdown stringency, is political affiliation and uh, the more liberal areas have been locking kids out of school uh, with devastating consequences. Kids are in severe mental health crisis, uh, along with huge educational losses and uh, all kinds of other long-term harms uh, that we haven't even seen yet, I'm sure. And um, it's based on zero science. I mean, there's been no upside. Uh, In fact, uh, pediatric COVID cases are lower in Florida than they are in California. It's one of the, you know, as I said, I said California's worse on every metric. That includes pediatric COVID cases. So, you know, why are all their schools closed? Who, yeah. who benefits from that other than, I mean, I think the teachers' union, uh, you know, they think they benefit professionally, uh, financially. Maybe they're right. Uh, but certainly there's been no virus benefit or, or any other kind of societal benefit, and yet these uh, school closures persist. You know, you'd think that, and I don't want to take the conversation off topic, Phil, because this is so important, but you'd think that, you know, this opens the door to reduce the power of the uh, teachers' unions because the, the decisions they're making, are serious, I think, are so counterproductive to the education of the kids, and I think in terms of how people re- view these unions in the first place. Uh, yeah, I think they certainly, uh, certainly uh, have sparked a substantial backlash. And, uh, you know, if there's any silver lining in uh, the horrific school closures, and, uh, you know, I, I think, by the way, I think the school closures are going to cause more uh, years of life lost than anything else, including the virus that's happened in the past year, uh, because mm-hmm. there's a very strong relationship between education and income and health. Uh, in fact, there's about a five-year difference in life expectancy between high school graduates and high school dropouts. And so I think uh, ultimately there's going to be a very major health price paid unless we can somehow dig out of the educational hole that we've put so many kids in, which is going to be a huge, huge challenge. Uh, but if there's any silver lining at all, it's that uh, I think School choice has a renewed momentum, hmm. uh, and there are 27 states now that have uh, legislation that's been introduced in the legislature for full school choice, including Florida. Uh, and, you know, I just think it's very, very hard now to argue against the idea that parents should control their education dollars and be able to send their kids to the school of their choice when, when you've got teachers' unions deciding they don't want to go to work and they want to keep school doors closed. And, you know, okay, well, if they have that choice, that's one thing, but hmm. how do you then say that a parent can't? choose a school that is open or right. can't choose a school that better suits their needs, uh, you know, that doesn't carry the risk of that occurring. And so I think that uh, sort of the, the 
perception that the teachers' unions uh, are really out for themselves and uh, not for the best interests of children, which is accurate in my judgment, yep. uh, has created an opportunity to maybe push further on uh, school choice than we've been able to do in the past and uh, maybe uh, make some major changes in places uh, that have been resistant to it in the past, like West Virginia and some other states where we've seen more progress this year on school choice than we ever really have before. Yeah, it's really important stuff. And Phil, I mean, in my view, it's this is a constitutional issue. Quite frankly, uh, people in government, elected officials, they have not stayed in their lane. They're trying to do things that they're not supposed to do. And I think it's all been very unconstitutional. I think what you're representing here with this con- with this movement about the illusion of control and COVID is extremely important. How can we support your efforts? Well, um, I'll give you a couple of things you can do. Uh, number one, I do a daily newsletter with John Fund and Steve Moore uh, that has a lot of information about COVID and other sort of related things. Uh, people can sign up for that at committeetounleashprosperity.com. Uh, second, uh, I do a lot of tweeting about this stuff. Uh, you can follow my Twitter, Kerpen, K-E-R-P-E-N. And third, uh, go to AmericanCommitment.org. The House is going to be voting on this ridiculous uh, Biden stimulus bill today. We've got a pre-written letter there if you want to fire that off to oppose that bill, or you can edit it however you want, and we'll make sure that it gets to your congressman and two senators. And uh, we've really uh, got to stop them from continuing to exploit this crisis and uh, raiding the Treasury for another $2 trillion. As the virus wanes and vaccines roll out, I just find uh, extraordinarily offensive. And so that's, you know, I probably gave those in the wrong order. Uh, Bob, that probably should be number one, is we've got to try to stop this bill. Uh, Yeah. and, uh, you know, the $350 billion for states and localities, even though most of them are already in surplus. I don't even know if you can call that a bailout. Uh, is it a bailout? <laughs> you know, California's in $15 billion surplus. <laughs> this bill gives them $41 billion. I mean, it's not a, they're just raiding the Treasury because they can. Oh, that's unbelievable. Phil, are you doing great work. I just really appreciate it. And by the way, the newsletter, uh, Unleashing Prosperity, I get that every day. I didn't realize that you were part of it. It's really outstanding. Steve Moore is, is the guy that kind of features the... Uh, Yes, it goes out under Steve's name. Uh, John Fund and I, you know, uh, typically write most of the items. Steve usually writes the number one, the lead item, and uh, edits it. Yeah, it is outstanding. And and again, how do people sign up for that? Where where can they go? Oh, committee to unleash prosperity.com. Yeah, I strongly recommend getting it each day. It's outstanding. Phil, genuinely. Totally free. Free of charge. Yeah, free of charge. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. Have a good one. You as well. Thank you. All right. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bego, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide two 
tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want you to check out uh, Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. Uh, the uh, originators are right here on the Paradise Coast. You can check out choicesocial.us. Really quite interesting and good. Choice Social is the uh, is the uh, app found on choicesocial.us. We have, as I mentioned before the break, Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It's the uh, story of the travails of dealing with union bosses over the course of two and a half years and all their dirty tricks trying to get him to sign a neutrality agreement. He refused, said, if you want to unionize my shop, you're going to have to do it. By the way, he does businesses in over uh, 35 states, 40 states, and uh, over 6,000 employees. Uh, he said you're going to have to do it by secret ballot. They wouldn't do that. Why? Makes no sense at all. But nevertheless, uh, the dirty tricks ensued, and he ended up prevailing and wrote a book about it. It's called The Devil at Our Doorstep. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Bob. And, um, you know, the uh, as I wrote in my book, they wanted to uh, have me sign a neutrality agreement that would take our employees' rights away to a secret ballot election. And uh, that's one of the things that the Biden administration is kind of trying to get put into place legally now called the PRO Act, um, and which would go back to what the unions try, union tried to do to me, uh, card check where you sign a neutrality agreement, there's no election, and they just get a bare majority of your employees to sign a union card, 50% plus one, and to facilitate that, you'd have to give a list of all your employees and their home addresses so they could go to their homes and intimidate them into signing the cards. And this is one of the big, the top priorities of the uh, Biden administration. Yeah, yeah they, their priorities are unbelievable. This Equality Act that passed yesterday makes absolutely no sense. Taking away our gender identity is making it part of <laughs> And now this $1.7 trillion uh, stimulus package that they plan on uh, passing, and then add on that what you just mentioned, which is to try and unionize everybody in the country, which simply creates a flow of funds into the Democrat Party from union uh, from uh, uh, unions, from union members, right into the Democrat Party in order to start the process all over again. Well, that's exactly right. And, um, you know, some of the other things that the Biden administration is doing is very concerning. Um, uh, you know, they just removed the existing NLRB general counsel and replaced it with the previous regional director of uh, Region 13, which is Chicago. His name's um, Peter Orr, and uh, he is he's really a strong pro-union guy, and he's going to go in and all the things that uh, Trump did over his time in office to um, eradicate um, the uh, restrictions that the unions have put in there for businesses and everything else under Obama. Uh, it's all going to be put back in place, and it's going to allow unions to um, force unionize um, companies across the country. And, um, you know, the, the other thing is um, he's appointed Marty Walsh, a former mayor of Boston, as U.S. Secretary of Labor. This guy used to be part of the unions uh, back in his day, and he's actually been uh, pointed out as uh, money laundering fraud and stuff like that with the unions. Uh, and this is the type of thing we're going to start seeing. Yeah, it's just so unfortunate. You know, it just occurs to me that the number one thing that we can do now, we have to make sure that we're passing laws in the states that protect from these types of uh, interferences from the federal government, like right to work. I mean, it's so important that the states maintain right to work laws, and I guess those are under attack as well. Well, that's exactly right. Um, the uh, Biden administration wants to bring down right to work uh, across the country uh, in all the states and uh, put into effect a law that it can't be a national right to work can't be passed. And uh, so they're after that, and um, you know, it's um, 
the other thing is they're going for this $15 minimum wage, mm -hmm. and Biden's already uh, written an executive order approving that for federal employees. Of course, federal employees, uh, all federal employees, uh, are union members. Uh, they've, ha they've been forced to unionize for many, 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 many years, and uh, he's just pushing things up for everybody. And again, it goes back to the unions because their union dues will go up, uh, the money they get, and they're going to use it for the Democratic Party. Now, it's out of curiosity, didn't, wasn't there a Supreme Court case saying that government employee unions, uh, that uh, you did not have to participate if you didn't want to participate in a, in a government union? Yeah, there was. And, uh, but the problem is, is behind the scenes, the union bosses and that, they, they intimidate the people so much, very few drop out. Really? I, I just can't understand that because, you know, their benefits are going to be the same irrespective of whether they participate in the union or not. So uh, the union provides absolutely no value to federal employees, yet they continue to go ahead and pay the union dues? Yeah. Yeah, unless they go and, and say they, they, want, uh, they want to be opted out of the dues payment. But a lot of them, you know, I mean, they've had, you know, a fair share that have opted out. But a lot of them haven't because they are uh, being intimidated by the union bosses. Yeah, that makes sense. Indeed. My understanding is it's uh, actually uh, a mirror process that uh, there's actually uh, people who are on the federal payroll who are doing nothing but union work and trying to organize unions up the, in, uh, in, in the federal government. Well, that's exactly right. And uh, a lot of them spend their days all day at work uh, doing stuff for the unions and i even wrote about that in the blog many years ago and uh they're pushing this hard and you know um like say the pro act which would uh uh implement um uh, card check and uh, that's what the unions want and uh you know and there are also a paycheck fairness acts um uh, which would increase the rights of employees, discuss and compare wages, increase remedies for gender-based violations and compensation. And this is all um, the um, things the unions want so they can uh, mm. get people upset and say, okay, we can organize you. Yeah, uh, it's very unfortunate. Well, again, I think the number one thing that we can do is, number one, pay attention to what's going on, and number two, make sure that our state legislatures, and I'm, I know here in Florida we have a great uh, House and Senate, uh, state Senate and House, very strong in terms of being their uh, conservative orientation. Make sure that we pass bills to protect us from the intrusion of these types of rules and laws coming down from the federal government. I, I suspect it's the same in Indianapolis as well. Yeah, and uh, you know we're, but uh, we're we're doing okay up here. And uh, but you know they're there's they're always coming after you and. Um, you know, we need we need um, um, politicians. You know, um, especially on the conservative side, that have a backbone and stand up. Yeah, well, we didn't see that during the elections, unfortunately. Hopefully, we will going forward. Dave Beagle, again, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It's a terrific read. You can read the book and you say, somebody made this stuff up. No, it's actually all true. And the, it's unbelievable what these union bosses and the tactics they would use in order to get him to sign this neutrality agreement, attacking his customers, his employees, families. It was un, it's the using the clergy. Again, the name of the book is The Devil at Our Doorstep. I strongly encourage you to read it. Get a copy at thedevilatourdoorstep.com, on my website, bobharden.com, and, of course, any book purveyor as well. Dave, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks, and have a great weekend. You as well. Thank you, Dave. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Learned a lot. We've got great guests for Monday, including... Mark Schulman, he is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We were talking about current global events, a lot going on. especially look forward to talking to him about this invasion and this uh, dust-up in Syria. Now we're starting to—President Trump brought everybody home. Now it looks like uh, Biden wants to, to get these dust-ups going on around the country. We'll find out. We'll talk to Mark about that. Also, Larry Reed is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. And Jim McTagg will be joining us as well. He is the former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several books. His latest two books are uh, 
Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, two great murder mysteries located in Washington, D.C. Love to hear your commentary on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you want to be on the newsletter that I send out after each show, again, it's bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.